Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Before we get to the message, I want to encourage all of you who live locally to go online and sign up for one of our backyard barbecues this summer. Oaks Barbecues are your best opportunity to meet and make new friends at Oaks Church. To see all the available groups and sign up, visit oakschurch.com forward slash groups. Now, let's check out today's message. I want to talk to you today about how to change the world. And that sounds like such a daunting task. And, and I can tell you as, as a, a pastor and someone who's been in church work uh, now for 19 years, I've had a lot of ups and I've had a lot of downs. I've had seasons where I felt like I made a big difference. And I've had seasons that I felt like I didn't make any difference at all. There was a specific time where I had my number one student uh, leader. I, he had been with me since he was about 14 or so, and he was the, be- I mean, I'm telling you, the best kid in our youth ministry. He, I mean, a godly kid. The kid could preach like nobody's business. Teenage preacher, man, he could just rip it up, and the kids would follow him. He was an unbelievable leader, and then he did this thing called missionary dating. Are you familiar with missionary dating? Where you date someone because you think that maybe by dating them you could get them saved. It's not a good decision. It's missionary marriage is even worse, right? I can change. The, you can't change anyone. You understand that? You can't change anyone. If you go into a relationship thinking, a committed relationship, thinking that I'm going to change this person, they're good enough right now, and I see, this women do this, this is serious, they've got potential that I will bring out. Men are different. Men are like, I can live with that. (laughs) But women want to change, right? And it's just one of those things, well, this guy was convinced that he was going to, and we warned him, we warned him about this girl. And I'm telling you, this girl was a demon. I'm not even lying. This godly guy, this amazing kid, within a handful of months, was hooked on drugs. He had had a stance of abstinence. He had kept himself, and, 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 and he lost his virginity. He, he got hooked on drugs. By the end of it, he was trafficking drugs across uh, state lines and, and internationally, and he ended up going to jail for drug trafficking. And this girl, one relationship, literally just destroyed his life. Now, obviously, he's, he's, his life isn't over, and he's got more life to live, and he can, anybody, we can, God can do new things for us no matter what season of our lives. But in that moment... I remember feeling like, like, like nothing I do matters. If the best kid I got, if the, if the most influential one I've got, and we tried everything to talk this young man out of that decision. And I literally felt like nothing mattered. I felt like everything that I did was just a waste. And, and it took me, literally it took me a couple of years to recover from that and to come back to a place of really believing that I could make a difference in people's lives if I just kept loving people. Come on, you can't force people to change, but you can love people and you can inspire people and you can provoke change in their life because you can create atmospheres. The first thing I want you to understand today is that you 
are agents of change. We are made to be agents of change in the world. We can't physically make people change, but we are agents of change. We can become a catalyst for change in the lives of people all around us. I've been using this little phrase as we've talked about this Go series, and I've been challenging you each and every week to get outside of your comfort zone, to love people that you wouldn't normally interact with, to step out and say the things that maybe you feel like God is telling you to say. And I heard a great Go moment this week. I had an amazing Go moment that I want to share with you in just a little bit, but I heard a great Go moment this week from one of our members, Liz Carla, who's an incredible real estate agent here in, in our church, and she was in an elevator she texted me, she said, Pastor Joel, I had my go moment this week. She was in an elevator and the lady just having small talk, started a conversation and said, you know, I've been, I've been in, uh, uh, in and out of the doctor. I've had more doctor's visits this year than I could, than I could ever imagine. And it's just been a really, really hard year. And Liz hears this and she's thinking, maybe I should do something. Maybe I should say something. But she, but she hesitated. And the doors open. And the lady walks out and they go different directions and Liz literally is kind of arrested by the Holy Spirit and stops herself and says, no, I've got to say something to this lady. And now follows this lady to her car and says, I'm sorry, but I really feel like I'm supposed to pray with you. Can I pray with you? And it literally made this lady's day. Liz prayed for her and they closed her eyes in the parking lot and Liz prays for her. And when Liz opened her eyes and the lady opened her eyes and they were done, the lady just was, her face was lit up like a candle. I mean, she was just so touched that somebody in public would take the time to just love her and care and pray. And Liz said, it was so uncomfortable for me. I was so out of my comfort zone, but I'm so glad that I stepped out. I'm, I'm so glad that I answered the call to go. Come on, any and all of us can do this, guys. Any and all of us can love people. That, that, that's the force that changes the world, that we can love people. I want to read a little verse to you. And this verse is from Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. He's speaking to all of the people that are listening to him. Anyone that would come to him by faith. He's got a crowd of thousands of people. He's on the hill and he's speaking to these people. Uh, in Israel, when we go in, in February, a number of uh, folks that are going on that tour with us, and if you want to go, you can, will literally be on the hill where Jesus taught this message and you'll be able to see the amphitheater that's created by the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely beautiful. The area where he fed 5,000 men uh, with, a, with the two loaves and the fishes. Incredible experience. He's on that hill and he says to them, all of these people, these just common people, lake folk from Galilee, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. Now, in our day and age, and maybe it's because it was uh, lake folk from Galilee that Jesus was speaking to, when you call someone or when we call someone the salt of the earth, it normally has to do with they're just good old, good old folks, right? Just good, good country folks, salt of the earth, just good folks. And maybe that's why 
uh, we connect this because Jesus was talking to just regular people. But in Jesus' day and age, it meant way, way more than just good people. Jesus was talking about a people that had a power to change the world that they didn't understand or comprehend yet. See, in the Roman era, the, the era that Jesus lived in, and any and every era before what we have known now as modern refrigeration, salt was the greatest, and actually salt was the first historically commodity known to man. If you had no salt, you had no power. If you had no salt, you couldn't preserve your food. If you had no salt, your army couldn't go on mission. If you had no salt, your sailors couldn't sail across the sea. See, you don't realize this, some of you may, but you cannot live without salt. Your cells don't work without salt. Your brain does not function without salt. If you get too depleted of salt, you will die. When Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, he was saying you are the necessary ingredient for the survival of this planet, for the survival of these people, for their eternal purpose and their eternal uh, uh, salvation. You are the salt of the earth. Without you, they're hopeless. Without you, they're lost. Without you, they have no power. Jesus was actually speaking to people who had no clue how powerful and important they were. And he was saying you are the most important and ingredient that this world could ever have you're the salt of the earth in the ancient days a pound of salt was traded equally for a pound of gold now we buy it with a little little girl with an umbrella on kicking her little leg up for for 99 cents but in Jesus's day salt and gold were equal commodities because if you didn't have any salt you didn't have any power you didn't have any influence Jesus is calling his disciples, regular folk, not professional religious people, regular business people, regular people. And he says, you're the most powerful agent of change. You're the most powerful entity for life. Without you, everything is hopeless. You're the salt of the earth. I want to take you to a story. This is a story of the church in Antioch. A lot of you may not know much about Antioch. The first time I remember hearing that word, I was watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and they were talking about the holy hand grenade of Antioch. That's what I remember um, about that. And, and you read through stories in the Bible, and you kind of skim through stuff. And the story I'm about to read to you, come on, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, just checking. The story I'm about to read to you is a story of Antioch. And it's, it's, it seems, as you read it, a little bit like a benign story. But Antioch was literally the center. It was the centerpiece for the early church for reaching the whole world. See, in, in Paul's day, the Apostle Paul's day, and before the apostles had even died, it literally says that the gospel had gone to, gone to the entire world. It says that these people that followed Jesus were such incredible agents of change that they had turned the whole world upside down. Watch this story. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen 
traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Remember a few weeks ago, and, and if you have missed out on some of these messages, you can go on our website and click the media button, and you can catch the podcast. You can also, on your uh, iPhone or Android, you can go to your podcast app, Oaks Church, Texas, and all of our messages are audio podcast on there. You can catch up on all of them. And a few weeks ago, we talked about Stephen, who was the first martyr for Jesus Christ. He died in a similar fashion that he forgave his murderers as he was dying. And Jesus stood up and gave him a standing ovation in heaven. And he saw that moment. He entered into heaven as the first martyr for Jesus. Standing at his feet giving approval was a man named Paul. Saul actually was his given name. We've spoken about these gentlemen over these last few weeks walking through and God has had us in this place in scripture because God is building and growing this baby church and he directed me to show me how he grew his initial baby church. We're building this church, we're growing this church based on the blueprint of how God did it and how God wants to do it. It's not about smoke and fancy lights. It's not about, look, and, and I, you know, I, we've never had a rapper on stage before. It was our first time, right? And Nate's awesome and I, he did the race part, and that's my flavor, all right? Rap is cool, reggae's my deal, okay? But, uh, but good stuff. But, but a, a rapper is not how you change the world. A great singer is not how you change the world. H having a great performance is not how you change the world. God has given us a blueprint in scripture. D does great performance, is it good? Sure, yeah, let's, let's do a good job, let's be excellent. Let's have good singers. I would rather listen to better singers and, 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 than worse singers, wouldn't you? Let's have, a good, let's have good preaching and good teaching. Let's have great and talented children's people. Programs are important, but you change the world by following the model that God created initially, and it's all centered and based around loving people relentlessly. They went as far. They were persecuted. They were scattered. They didn't want to leave Jerusalem. They were comfy. They were cozy. But persecution breaks out, and they're scattered as far as Antioch. It says, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So they weren't going to the world yet. They were only going to Jews. They were Jews that believed in their Messiah, and they were only going to Jews. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And news of these things came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas. Barnabas, remember, was the one who literally had sold a piece of land and gave and brought the entire portion. So let's say he sold the land for $100,000 and he brought a $100,000 offering and laid at the apostles' feet. This is Barnabas, who later would be launched out as one of the great apostles of that early day and one of the very first missionaries. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say the first official sent missionary in this passage right here. And at the hand of the Lord was great, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all with that purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek out Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and they taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. 
Now for almost 2,000 years, we've been called Christians. But this story, this local church was so influential because somebody was willing to go. Somebody was willing to go. Antioch is found uh, in Turkey, that region. And it was a major hub of the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the third most influential city in the Roman Empire behind Rome itself and I believe Alexandria, Egypt. It was a city that Alexander the Great came to. All of the, all of the, the uh, Roman Caesars came and spent time in Antioch. It was an influential city, a powerful city. And it took persecution to get God's people to be willing to go. I, I, I've heard it said that sometimes baby birds, they don't want to get out of the nest. And so the mama bird has to provoke them to get out of the nest. I don't know if that's exactly what it looks like. But what I've heard is that the mama bird takes the food that the babies are used to eating right there in the nest and stands outside of the nest and won't feed the babies until they move. Is it possible that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to come through in some way in your life and he's just waiting for you to move? He's got some type of release. He's got some type of sustenance. He's got some type of something he wants to release in your life. But if we stay in a place of comfort and we're not willing to move, we're not willing to get out of the nest. He's waiting. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not an expert on biology, but I did read a, a few articles uh, or, or things about baby birds and how all, every single one of them, they all fall. <laughs> They all fall, and, they, and they, they flap, and they fall, and they hit the ground. They don't, none of them flies at first. And so many times people are hesitant to do something new because they don't want to fall. I love to snowboard, and um, there's no such thing as snowboarding without falling because you're standing on one plank, and your feet are locked in together, and, and you balance like this, right? And that's all your balance, and you fall. And, and with skis, you can spread your feet out, and you can get better balance, and the better you get, the closer you ski. But on a snowboard, you, you have no options. It's just like that. And I remember having a t-shirt that I wore when my early phases of, of, of snowboarding, and it literally said, you fall, that's all. You fall, that's all. And I remember thinking about that. And that's just a great slogan. It's just, you just fell. It's no big deal. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. Get up and go again. So many times we're afraid of falling so we won't try. Or we fell and we got hurt so we don't want to try again. And I'm telling you that the risk is worth the reward. The risk is worth the reward. And, and frankly, going is not optional. Going is not optional. If God has to tear up the nest, he'll tear up the nest. Remember this guy named Jonah in the Bible who told God no? He ended up like in a three-day spa excursion. Stomach of a whale. Came out, all the whale stomach acid had bleached his skin. I mean, how did he look and smell coming out of that belly of that whale? I don't know. But saying no to God doesn't work very well. God will always have his way in us. Now, you are, you, you are a free agent, you have free will, and if you don't want to go on the mission, 
that God's called you to, and you rebel that hard against it, he will replace you. And then you'll stand before him and have to explain why. And no excuse is good enough when you're looking in the face of God. We gotta be willing to go. See, this church first, this, this, this was literally the first church that was a Gentile church in the New Testament. The very first church is in a place called Antioch. It, just regular believers are spreading the word and so many people, so many Greeks are getting saved that the apostles send Barnabas, whose name means the son of encouragement. They send an encourager to go to Antioch to minister. Barnabas knows of this man, Saul, because Barnabas was the one, remember, that had it gone and found Saul when no one else would have anything to do with Saul because they were afraid of him because he was in charge of murdering Christians and putting Christians in jail. But after his conversion, it was Barnabas that went and brought him and ushered him in to the church and to the family and introduced him to the other apostles. And now here we have Barnabas going and bringing Saul again to Antioch. They stay in that city together for, for over a year and the church is exploding. See, Antioch from that point forward became the actual hub of all missions work for the entire early church. All of the missionary journeys of Paul and Silas launched out of Antioch and came back to Antioch. It was the hub of the early church. And there was a time when this hub came to a place where it was under a little bit of persecution from inside of the church. See, in this era, in this day, the actual phrase that we use today, is he worth his salt? You've heard that phrase? Are they worth their salt? It actually comes from the ancient Roman army because there was a term in Latin, salarium, and that meant the amount of, amount of salt someone, a soldier was given because remember, salt was equal to gold. The, the allotment for a soldier's salt so that they could live and survive and, and be able to do their mission. Are they worth their salt? If you're going to be worth your salt, you're going to have to be willing to take a stand at times. See, it was in this church. Do you guys remember the story in the Bible where Paul stood up to Peter? You remember that story? Anybody remember that story? A couple of you? I'm going to read it to you. Don't worry. There's a story where Peter, who was like Jesus' homeboy, right? Peter, Peter was, the, was the toughest, rough-and-tumble disciple. He's the first one to speak up. He's the first one to step out. He's the only one with guts enough to step out of the boat and actually walk on water to Jesus. Peter was the first one to say, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus says, and upon this revelation, this rock of revelation, I will build my church. Peter is a big, big, big deal in the early church days. He cut a dude's ear off for Jesus. Gangster apostle. Nobody else. And then Jesus is like, what are you doing? And Peter's like, you told me to get a, to get a sword, Jesus. It's just, it's just for looks. Peter shows up in Antioch. Watch this. Galatians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, watch I withstood him to his face. Apostle showdown. Paul versus Peter. 
Because he was to be blamed, for a certain men came from James, or for before certain men came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. There was a group of people historically in the early church that felt like every one of these Greek and Roman and, and, and pagan followers of Jesus Christ needed to follow every single Jewish law and completely convert and conform and basically be a Jew. And Paul was the one out on the forefront ministering to and witnessing these people. And everything was going great until the legalist rule followers and rule enforcers show up. And all of a sudden, there's a showdown between Peter and Paul because Peter didn't have the backbone he needed to have. Peter was the first one that had the experience with Gentiles, Romans, in Cornelius' house. We talked about this last week. Coming to faith in Christ, they all received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They all speak in tongues. And Peter says, seeing as how they received the Holy Spirit just as we do, who can forbid them from receiving the baptism of water and salvation in Jesus Christ? Peter's the first one to have that experience. And now here he is being intimidated by religious Christian Jews who are trying to force Greeks and Romans to follow Jewish rules instead of just following Jesus. Watch what he says. And the rest of the Jews who played the hypocrite with them so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Listen, the church, the early church, the first and most powerful Gentile church, its future is on the line. Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified Paul stands up to Peter he stands up for the future of the early church listen as the church of Jesus Christ we cannot expect worldly people to act godly I don't know many people that had like a teleportation experience when they got saved. And every single sin that they had in their past instantly was never a problem to them ever again. Most people that I know, including myself, had issues before they got saved. And then after they got saved, they still had issues. And, and we live in a daily process of God revealing things to us and, and, and teaching us and we're hopefully taking daily steps to draw closer to him. How easy is it for people who are clean to look down on people who are dirty and forget that they had to take a bath themselves and continue, I hope, continue to take baths. See, if you're gonna make a difference in this world, you're going to have to stay salty. 
You, 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 can't, you, you can't just get salty. You can't just recognize I'm the salt of the world. I, I'm, I, I'm the light of the world, the salt of the earth. There's no light unless I shine. There's no opportunity for preservation unless I release this salt that God has put inside of me. But we've got to stay in a place where we remain salty and we can't back down when it's time to stand up. We've got to be worth our salt. I had my own go moment this week. I went to just to meet a businessman friend in the city. He and his wife have come to the church a number of times, uh, come to Oaks a number of times. And I just met with him to see how, how maybe Oaks Church, we could partner with his organization and do some great stuff in the city. And we literally just meet in the afternoon to hang out, talk for a little bit. And, and both of us have on our agenda to talk business. And he walks in. I'm like, man, what's up? We'll high five and hug each other. And man, it's so good to see you. It's been forever. How you doing? I've been better. Oh, man, yeah, okay. How, how's your wife? Man, it's, it's not going good. And instantly, I'm in a position where I've got someone who has been a friend, an acquaintance, but, all, but surface on some levels. Just cool, just bros, man, right? Guys are like, what's up, what's up? Girls want to talk about all their feelings and everything. I know I have a lot of generalizations that I'm giving to, you know, uh, today, and please forgive me. You know, but, but most of the time, guys aren't really good at having intimate conversations, Right? Like, Ken's my buddy, but we don't talk on the phone for hours, right? It's just, it's not, it's like, so how was your day-to-day, buddy? I, we, you know, it's like, what's up? What's up? You know, I mean, it's just one of those deals. This guy opens up to me. And, and I'm like, okay, okay. And he's like, and begins to walk through what's going on in his relationship. Walk through what's going on in his marriage. And I'm like... This is my moment. Guys, this, it, it, when guys talk about intimate things for the first time, it's not comfortable for either party. It took a ton of guts. He's like, I don't even know why I'm talking to you about this. I didn't come to talk to you about this. I said, dude, this is why I'm here. This is exactly what we need to talk about. We had a 90-minute time slot. Actually, about, yeah, about 80-minute time slot. We talked about Jesus and faith and marriage and relationships, me sharing things that I was doing to try to make my relationship better, like answer my phone. I said, you know, I didn't realize that how it made my wife feel when she would call and I would be in a meeting and I wouldn't answer my phone and then she would feel like that meeting was more important than her and I don't want to communicate that to my wife. So I started something new the last year. If I'm in a meeting and my wife calls, I say, hold on a second, it's my wife. Because I want her to know she's the most important person in my life, right? And that's just a little thing. And I'm, and I'm sad that, that next uh, month we've been married 24 years and it just took me 23 years to figure out, answer the dang phone, moron. <laughs> right? But it's important, guys, the little bitty things. This gentleman and I, we have an intimate conversation, our very first one. 70 minutes of our 80 minutes was about faith and Jesus and marriage. And then the last 10 minutes, we hammered out every bit of business we needed to hammer out. See, it's, it's a principle of tithe. 
It's a principle of giving God first. It's a principle of taking and making God the centerpiece in the first. I didn't need 90 minutes to make the business happen. I just needed 10. But I, but I needed those 70 plus minutes or so to touch a guy's life, to have to open up, to have real friendship, real relationship, and, and to be, come on guys, I, I don't tell that story to brag. I could have just as easily been like, ooh man, that stinks. Hey, what are we talking about today? Because that's way easier, guys. It's way easier to keep it surface. It's way easier to skim over. But it's not how we go. We gotta be willing to go. I wanna give you a couple things. If you want to change culture, change the world, this church in Antioch, historians say that the impact that the Christian church had on Antioch was absolutely astronomical, huge. I've heard uh, great teachers teach of the cultural impact that one of the problems in Antioch, because it was a major hub and there were people from all over the world that came there, is that it was incredibly segregated and every neighborhood was a certain uh, color, a certain race, a certain ethnicity, a certain background, and every neighborhood in Antioch had big gates and at nighttime, every city closed their gates because no one trusted anyone except the people that were like them. And what I was taught is that in Antioch, because of the love of these early Christians, that the end result was that the gates began to stay open at night. Because so many people were saved and coming to faith from so many different neighborhoods that they began to love and trust each other and look past their cultural differences, look past the colors of their skin, look past uh, their economic backgrounds, look past all of their differences because they had one thing in common, it was Jesus. How do you change the world? You start by changing hearts. You change hearts by releasing love that's unexpected. Unexpected and undeserving love is one of the most powerful things that changes the heart. I don't deserve Jesus. I didn't deserve him dying for me. When we love other people the way Jesus loves us, it affects people's hearts. When you change a heart, you change words. Changed hearts change words. Because out of the abundance and the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you change someone's words, when you change what they say about their life, when you change what they say about themselves, when you change what they say about their future, scientists are now saying that human beings frame their whole world with their words. You frame your future world with the words that come out of your mouth. It's, it's the word prophecy in, in scripture. It means to speak from divine counsel. God says something, you say what he says. Prophecy, it literally says, the purpose of prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification is the word that we get for edifice. It's an architectural world word. It's about yeah, building yeah, yeah. your life. When you speak what God is speaking in your life and over the people around you, you literally build the future of their world. Changed hearts change words, and changed words will change behaviors. See, when you begin to hear yourself speaking and saying, this is what we're doing, and this is who I am, and this is what, all of a sudden, your behavior will line up with the words that are coming out of your own mouth and the mouths of other people around you. 
and change behaviors will change futures. You can literally change the future by loving people and changing their heart. You can't force people to change, but you can love people so much that it provokes them to want something more that they don't currently have. Oaks Church, we can make a difference. We can change the world. It starts by loving people one day at a time. God, who do you want me to go to today? Where's my go moment today? Maybe a business person, you're in a business meeting like we were talking about, you're in an elevator like Liz. You got a, a mom that's going through something in your PTA group or whatever or on your kid's soccer team. You, I mean, guys, all over the place in your life, if we would just start asking God every day, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to go to? What do you want me to say? And then take the risk to step out of the nest and see what maybe God has in store for us that would sustain us and move us forward. We can't be who we are called to be if we stay. We gotta go, amen? We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.